that's what I illusions. This episode is part two of our Sega conversation with Spencer Scott Holmes. If you have not seen part one, you'll probably find that this episode doesn't make much sense, so I highly recommend checking it out. And without further ado, let's get back to the conversation. The thing that really sticks out at me for Sega in that era, too, was one thing that Nintendo was... I mean, they've always been excellent at is making franchises. And I look at a lot of the Genesis games. I mean, Sonic, you know, is obviously the big one, but... You look at them and you're like, well, where were all of these titles on the Saturn? Where was Rocket Knight Adventures? Or, you know, there's so many others that that were just begging, you know, Sega to, you know, franchise this. Because, I mean, we, we don't, people kind of forget how, you know, Crash, Spyro, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Laura Croft of Tomb Raider, even though there was also available on Saturn, but those were kind of sony's competitors to to the nintendo fleet of you know mario donkey kong samus fox all of those people yeah well it's the weird thing too is because i always say that sega probably actually has more of its own characters than nintendo does it's just sega does the thing where they'll make like one or two maybe three games and then they'll jump to something else it's like no 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 bring that you have a great series there stop cutting your series off short when they could keep going you know what i mean like really at the end of the day it's just like you know, it's like you take from the Genesis, you know, you know beyond Sonic, you got Streets of Rage, you have Golden Axe, you had Kid Chameleon that should have had another game at least, you know, why not? Of course you have Shinobi and the Shinobi did come to the Saturn and that's actually my favorite Shinobi game of all time. But um, it's one of those ones like Nintendo or Sega just even like nowadays too, I just always feel like there's so many like possibilities for bringing games back. Like I look at like, I know mean, I know it's a Dreamcast game, so we're kind of jumping ahead here, but like something like Jet Grind Radio, oh, yeah. like when when the Wii came out, it was like, dude, what Jet Grind Radio should have been on the on the Wii. Think about it. Yeah. Like you, it is so designed for it. You could have done the graffiti and all the tagging with the remote. It would have been so awesome. And I feel like right now we got the Switch. Come on, Sega. Dude, you could still do this. Yeah, that I mean that would have been really did they didn't make a golden axe for Saturn, did they? They did. It's a fighting game, and it's actually kind of cool. They did? Wow. Yeah, I have to yeah. check that out. Um, it, it's pretty darn sweet because it's like it's a fighting game done kind of like almost in like that Street Fighter Alpha kind of era fighting game. So it looks pretty like good, too. Yeah. You know, mentioning Jet Grind Radio, even though now we're we're, you know, jumping ahead. Um, when you mentioned the Wii, you know, Sega, one, one of my favorite Wii games is Mad World, the black and white one, the bloody one. Uh, that, that's a Sega game. Yeah. I mean, it really they, it really was sort of hand so much of sega played really well on nintendo super monkey ball gamecube but um mm-hmm. they really it, it 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 i think that saturn could have set the dreamcast up so much better had it you know had had they released a long series or or not long series but just a series of their own sort of franchisable uh, Super Smash, you know, something they can make a Super Smash Brothers out of with their... I mean, it was something that even SNK did really well with, uh, you know, King of Fighters is just, you know, their characters from other other games. But it, it gives you kind of an well, all-stars feel to it. Well, I will say there is, there is Fighters Mega Mix on the Saturn that's pretty much like... I always feel like kind of... The, I guess King of Fighters is technically the proto Smash Brothers... Fighters Mega Mix on Saturn, though, I always looked at them like Sega even was first to having kind of like the Smash Brothers stuff. The only thing kind of goofy about that game, though, is it doesn't have Sonic the Hedgehog in it. That's what I always thought was like, what? You have 
okay, you got all your virtual fighter characters, and then you have your uh, fighting vipers characters in there, and then they start adding in the kind of like the weird stuff too. Like you get like the girl from like Virtual Cop, you get the car from Daytona, which is the really odd one, but kind of fun, fun in <laughs> itself. But then they they put like Beak and Bird or whatever from like um, God, the Sonic R game is on there, but like it should have just had Knuckles, Tails, and Sonic. Like what were you thinking? Yeah, like that. That's that's what it should have been. And I think that's kind of like I always feel that like the the thing that kind of because Sega still has actually really good games themselves, you know, throughout the Saturn. You know, you get Virtual Cop, which is amazing. You get Daytona USA on there. You get Virtual Fighter, of course, you know, one, two. And then, you know, all this kind of other ones. Fighting Vipers is two. I mean, the downfall is a lot of these games. I just don't think they're they're great games. And this is kind of always the thing that Sega sort of has is they have some amazing games, but I just don't think they reach out to the masses. They reach out to like a small group of people who love them, but they don't can, they're not like, cause I always think virtual fighter is an amazing fighting game. I think it's one of the best 3d fighting games ever made, but it didn't have that same appeal that like Tekken does where Tekken grabbed like a ginormous group of people. And in my opinion, I don't think Tekken's nearly as, you know, well put together as virtual fighter, but Virtual Fire still just couldn't capture that mass appeal that Tekken got, you know? It's, you know, Tekken's still fun, but I felt like that grabbed people a lot better. And, you know, on the Saturn, it just has these games. There's a lot of good games, but there's not that solo game that's just like, you gotta grab a Saturn today. Yeah, like, uh, Die Hard Arcade is one of my faves to play, but... (laughs) Oh, that's an amazing game. It is, and it it does, it shows off what the Saturn can do really well, because it's not like you're, you know, it's not like a full 3D fighter, uh, but, you know, it's not 2D either. You really, you you know, it's it's like what Nights into Dreams was able to capitalize on. It's like, we're not going to go full 3D, but we're going to pretty much fool you. We'll make you, we'll make you feel as though it, it basically is. But um, well, and that's what makes it, that's what makes the Saturn though is it, it's the arcade games. Once again, just like anything else, Sega, you buy a Sega system so you can get the arcade games. And they're really they're really good at that that feel. It's just aside from the price point, which is obviously huge, they the Saturn. I I think Sega was probably looking at how well its arcades were doing, especially. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to beat how many great. Afterburner is one of my all-time favorite arcade games. Sega just has so many great games on that. But you know, the 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 what you're describing of appealing to the masses. I mean, that's always gonna have a great something that's gonna you know really propel that is sort of a fresh take on something like Super Mario sixty four. Like we're gonna do this open world or Tekken was you know it felt different. Gran Turismo also just it felt like you were playing something out that that had never been done before. And as great as arcades are, that's not going to, you know, command a big market share of, hey, you got to try this. It's this new thing that nobody's seen before. Well, and it, this this all comes back down to, like, when we were talking about earlier with the Genesis and Super Nintendo and, like, how, like, the difference between, like, when you go over to a friend's house and how many games you play from one to the other. Like, a Super Nintendo is one of those systems. You could literally give someone like five games for it and that could last like beyond like a year you know what i mean like you could get great replay value on them you could get real enjoyment but a sega you always need to have about three times if not four times the amount of games to get the exact same like gameplay out of it because they're always shorter they're always arcade length which is always fun don't be wrong and like i, I love that but 
You know, it's almost like you take the Sonic the Hedgehog compared to Super Mario World. And I know it like first, you know, I think it's like that. It's kind of like the Coke Pepsi test taste mm-hmm. where, you know, if you take a sip of like the sodas, everybody always goes mostly towards Pepsi because it's got more sugar in it. It's a little bit sweeter and so on. But if you drink an entire glass, people mostly prefer Coke because it's not nearly as sweet and as intense. And I almost feel that that's sort of like the Sonic Super Mario world. Like you, you play like one level of Sonic the Hedgehog compared to one level of Mario and you're like, oh my God, the Sonic the Hedgehog's amazing. But then you compare the entire game to each other and you're like, well, Sonic the Hedgehog is only like eight levels. Mario's like a hundred levels and there's all kinds of worlds and so on. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're definitely getting a much bigger bang for your buck for Super Mario World than you are for just Sonic the Hedgehog, you know? I mean, there's probably more levels in Mario World than there is in all four of the Sega Genesis, you know, main Sonic games, <laughs> sadly yeah, and, as it is. And Super Mario World also, you know, after each level, it took you kind of out of it, made you feel like the game was sort of bigger than each of the individual levels in Sonic. It's it's so fast-paced, and that's part of why it's great, but, you know, it's it's... It, you know the the Coke Pepsi comparison is good because it's just it's a sugar it's a sugar rush the whole time. Yeah, and and that's just kind of how it is. And I think that's always how Sega sort of is. Sega's always they always mostly like give you like, hey, here's the mass. Where Nintendo's like, you know what? We'll give you one solid game, and this will last you quite a while. You know what I mean? Because it'll be that good that you'll keep coming back to it. Yeah. Where Sega's always like, like here here's your arcade fix for the you know for the week almost. Keep keep them pumping out. And I feel like with the Saturn, too, that's always kind of like, you know, I think the price point's the biggest issue. I, I know people always want to say other stuff, but I really think that price point is the biggest turning point between people jumping into being a PlayStation. I think there's like some people that were burnt out from Sega and all their systems and so on. I don't think that was the majority, though. I don't think the burnt out thing was nearly as much. I think at the end of the day, it was really that hundred bucks. And then not really having, I mean, I guess you could say for playstation they don't really have like a solid game right off the bat that you can kind of point out being like oh this is the must-have game to have i think it took about a year or two for that to kind of come into play there's great games i mean like twisted metal i remember playing that game when the playstation first came out like at a circuit city and it was like whoa whoa what is this (laughs) yeah that one it it it, i mean word of mouth is such a big powerful marketing tool and in order to have that you need to you need to get something that's going to get so many people like a twisted metal that you just, you're, you're dealing with something that hasn't been done before and people are all over the place, but it's ironic. It, it, it it's ironic to think about that kind of, uh, concept being the downfall of Sega when the dreamcast had like Shemnew, Jack Ryan radio, Sonic adventure, all these games that they don't have any big comparisons. The Shemnew was, was such a, such a, landmark concept even even now you can kind of see like the real time and all sorts of that stuff and it's still it's it's such a i mean the ps4 release just came out but um in addition in addition to that if you think about if you think about what propelled the what was the singular reason the switch got off the ground it's because they put out a a zelda that was just unlike any any other zelda they'd ever done before and everybody just had to have that game. It was called the $300 Zelda machine for like the first couple months of its uh, lifespan. Well, especially for the Wii U owners. I felt like if you didn't own a Wii U, there was all because they had a couple games that came out like because every single month, Nintendo was doing a great job of always putting out a, almost like a pretty big size game yep. for that Switch. But if you had a Wii U, though, most of those games you already own. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But that's the thing, though. It's like, yeah, Nintendo has mostly always been a good. The only time they jacked that up once is on the Wii U because they didn't have a game for it when it came out. And I was like, what are you guys thinking? 
Like that, I think that really screwed the Wii U over. If the Wii U would have had a Zelda or a Mario or maybe even something else like a Metroid or something to launch it with, I think it would have done so much better. But by not having a real main game to get, yeah. I mean, I'll say for the Saturn, really, when it came out, it was, I guess, a Virtual Fighter. That, that was the must-have game to kind of, at that time period, to right. get. And I know that the Saturn, the original Saturn version is not new. They always say that even the 3.2X version is kind of better than that. They sort of fix themselves with it with the, there's Virtual Fighter, I think it's called Remix or something like that. Uh-huh. And I have that one for Saturn. But um, so you had that game right there. That was kind of your go-to one. Because really Sony didn't, like, it's like when you look at their initial launch, it's like Ridge Racer, I want to say. It's like kind of like one of their big ones they had. They had Battle Arena, or Battle Arena Toshinden. Or whatever, and then they had a couple others, but it wasn't, you know, Resident Evil hadn't come out yet, you know, uh, Tomb Raider hadn't come out yet. All their kind of like ones you think of Crash Bandicoot one that became kind of the big games in the long run weren't there. But that it's just, I think, just I think especially when for parents, when parents are buying a system, they 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 just go in there and go, what's the cheapest one? Well, yeah. <laughs> unless you unless you got one of those like my friend's dad who had the. The, uh, the pioneer, you know, Sega laser active one. He's the only kind of person who will sit down and research for like two weeks straight. Like what, what is the best system to get? And he'll go out and buy it based on that. But that is not most people's parents. <laughs> no. And it, it's fascinating. Like, you know, the nineties was defined a lot by big, massive Leviathan companies getting in with their system. I mean, you know, a lot of them failed the Philips CDI, the Apple Pippin, the, Panasonic 3DO, but those are those are brand names that parents will know. And Sony, you know, obviously made TVs, made VCRs, they made a lot of stuff. Parents don't really know what what the hell Sega is. I, I, yeah, exactly. And just just even beyond the name recognition, you're you're dealing with company like when Microsoft came in with the Xbox. I'm sure a lot of people thought they were crazy, but at the end of the day, that Microsoft has plenty of money to invest in it sega <laughs> sega wasn't nintendo you know they didn't have the market share all to themselves for so many years by the time you know they put out a you know each, each console it wasn't you, you know N- nintendo can survive uh, lackluster wii u sales and and bounce back but sega through the 90s they they put they spread themselves so, so thin they did what a lot of companies do and they overexpand and they burn their capital really quickly you know, and that's like I think also the top off the Sega Saturns. Like, this is always the one that I think kind of is the biggest deal breaker. I think for a lot of people was never having a true Sonic game on there. Oh, I yeah. think that really screwed them kind of over. And it's funny because I was like, because there, there's some great Sonic Team games out there, but whenever I see a Sonic Team game, like I think of like Burning Rangers <laughs> on uh, Sega Saturn. And it's a fun game, don't get me wrong. But that when you, whenever I play that game, I go, "This is what we got instead of Sonic." <laughs> you like, you thought this was a good idea to have instead of Sonic the Hedgehog? Just saying, it's yeah. a fun game. It's just like Ristar. Ristar is another sweet game too. You know what I mean? But sometimes it's like one of those ones. You know, or even Knights, like because Knights is a really cool game. But here's the thing. You know what? If that was probably just a Sonic the Hedgehog game, people probably that would that could have sold the system even more. If there was a really sweet Sonic the Hedgehog game, that would have been the game changer. Yeah, because you know, Nintendo sixty four was able to basically say Mario, the guy you love, here mm-hmm. he is in our in our marquee system, and he's doing something you have never seen in a game before. And Saturn, 
I mean, we, we talk about so many... It, Saturn is a great system to look back on and say, you know, this is a really great... It's a great library to spend an afternoon cycling through games with a friend. Great multiplayer games. But... Yes. When you're like, you know, the you know the Keanu Reeves meme, the whoa. <laughs> it's like, where, where, where are you getting that, that feeling from a Saturn game? And it's not going to be from Die Hard. I mean, I guess the, the Panzoon... I'm forgetting the or Panzer's uh, Panzer's Saga. Yeah, yeah, the 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 four disc one. I mean that that that's a game that really encompasses the mind, but that's not really a mass, uh, not really that 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 kind of mass appeal. And it's something that, I mean, you you just Tom Tom Kalinsky, the former CEO of Sega of America, the guy really brought the Genesis into the, you know, for at the forefront of video gaming as great as he was you gotta sit i mean he was out of it uh shortly after the saturn but it's hard to imagine how he you know didn't bring a you know it's pretty amazing to think that he wasn't in a boardroom meeting saying our number one priority is sonic on the saturn that's drop everything else and get this hedgehog into a 3d game Exactly. It's just one of those ones. Like, why is this not going on? I think, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I I know that like they couldn't get the game going exactly as they wanted to. And that's why they kind of like delayed it because that is always the difference between see what makes Mario kind of work well is that since he's not moving that fast, you don't have, you know, his levels don't have to be massively huge because that was the problem with even Sonic Adventure when it came out. Is there like, well, here's the thing. You, you, you spend all this time making a level and then next thing you know, Sonic races through it in 45 seconds. You know, it's just like, yeah. that's ridiculous. And that's why they said, that's why they add all the other characters in the Sonic adventure because the thing was, it was just like, our, our levels are already done because of how fast Sonic moves, which kind of almost, you know, gets them in the long run is for how fast Sonic is, you know, and I know that kind of affected the Saturn. So I know that's why that like, they didn't really come out with one on there. But um, even if they would have done something where, because the one thing I think is always cool about that PS2, especially this is where like the Saturn comes into play, is the having the, those amazing 2D games. Because that was where the Saturn always took off over the PlayStation was being able to have like you know pretty darn arcade perfect games of like Darkstalkers and Street Fighter and Marvel versus Cap or um, X Men versus Street Fighter and so on like that. I love playing a lot of the Neo Geo games on the Neo Geo just for sentimental or just just you know because I have a Neo Geo CD. But you look at the you look at how they run like Fatal Fury on uh, the a real bout fighter on the Saturn. They run perfectly. They're great. And and they run in a way that that sets it apart. They have that arcade feel that you know the PlayStation was so focused on 3D. It was a big open question when the PlayStation Classic came out of, you know, there's all this nostalgia for the the you know retro, the HD HD 2D and all of the you know, Stardew Valley, Owlboy, Celeste, all these really great of the graphics. How is that going to translate to a PlayStation 1 classic, which is essentially the roughest cut of the, you know, the 3D graphics that we have now? It's- yeah, and I, I know because some people have a hard time going back to that era. I know so many of my friends, like, they sometimes look at me like I'm crazy because I don't know. I, I can go back to that PlayStation era like it was yesterday. Same with a lot of 64 games and even Sega Saturn games. And it doesn't really bother me. But maybe it's I don't know what it is like I maybe because I play them more often than most people. So it's it always seems like second nature to me still. And what I like about that era, too, is that 
all the 3D games, it's like everybody kind of had their different idea of going about them. So maybe some ideas were better than others, but you've got so many different styles of games because of it. Yep. Where like nowadays when you play a game with like sort of like Unreal Engine, they always feel like they all play kind of the same. That's how I always sort of feel. They have the same camera movements, the same kind of – I mean there's different stories and there's different graphics and different ways that like the game plays itself. But the overall look always feels kind of the same where in the N64 Saturn PlayStation era – every single game kind of feels a little bit different from the next, you know what I mean? You could tell certain engines like from certain companies, but beyond that, everybody was making their own engines and making their own games in like the way that they thought they should run in 3d. And that's what makes it so cool. And that's what I always love about it. And especially for the limiting factor, I think kind of makes games sort of better, like survival horror games, RPGs. I think they all kind of start coming out to the fold then, you know, and Sega Saturn really, by having those sweet arcade games and i know it's one of those ones i think here's the thing to a hardcore sega fan slash arcade fan the sega saturn is where it's at but to the general public they look and go oh you're still doing 2d games like why can't you make something why does your tomb raider not look nearly as good huh you know you get that kid and that kid is the majority you is he's hard to impress yeah it it really the reason that i go back to the playstation one or particularly to spyro or Donkey Kong 64, Banjo-Kazooie, Super Mario 64 is the notion of the the open world. Like, you can go wherever you want. In fact, you can, if you want to, you can go to a spot and you can just stay there. And you can stay there for 20 minutes and you're not going to die versus, you know, a side-scroller, you know, you got to move yeah. quickly. Time counting down, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it for, for me, that was just so formative. I hear people just shit on the, a lot of the, big N64 titles of like, oh, they're just kind of, you're going around collecting. And I'm like, okay, go, you know, it says the person who's playing Madden or Call of Duty for hour, hours on end. Like, that, that that's not repetitive. Um, yeah, it, the, 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 that's what I always call it. The modern casual gamer is the guy who only owns Call of Duty and Madden. Whenever yeah. I hear anybody play that, there's nothing wrong with those games. They are fun. They're I'm not fun. saying they're not fun. But they are casual games at the end of the day. That's all I have to say. That's what they are. And there's nothing wrong with going around collecting things. I mean, that's what Pokemon yeah. Go is. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, I, mean, it's, it, I mean, sometimes I think Rare goes a little bit far in some of their games for collecting things. Like Donkey Kong 64, it's like, okay, you can, you, you can minus a couple of these things down. Like, yeah. let me collect a couple things, but not everything. No, uh, no beaver bother. <laughs> that's, that's become a big meme. Uh, I don't know if you saw the... Uh, H bomber guy in England a couple months ago did a big fundraiser playing through uh, Donkey Kong 64 for a, a transgender charity in in England called Mermaids and uh, mm-hmm. I was just laughing because I, I did a big Donkey Kong 64 play. Th- I don't really I'm not big into like the hundred percent completions, but I remember going into grad school two years ago and I was just angry because one of my friends was like you finished Donkey Kong yet and I'm like no I spent two hours with a fucking beaver, beaver bother and I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that to me i just i i love i love the witty the, you know the rare ra- rare was such a witty the writing banjo kazooie you go and it's just it's a funny game it, it's mm-hmm. and and the n64 was bookended with conquer's bad for a day like the most inappropriate n64 game probably of the wall it really you know you, you just look even na- nowadays you look at that and you just laugh like paper mario is the same way it's just it's funny yeah, exactly. It's just having those solid, solid Nintendo games. And I think that's it. Once again, at the end of the day, Nintendo, it's it's like Mario 64. That's a game that doesn't matter how old it is. And it's literally day one in 64. 
it holds up so well. It holds up pretty much perfectly. You know, I mean, I, you could see some some kid might balk at the graphics, but beyond that, I don't think they can balk at the gameplay of Mario sixty four. That's one of those ones. And I, I think what we're what we're getting at with that era in particular is not Sega Saturn sucks. These other two are good, but just you're you're, you're dealing with you're dealing with a case of three systems are all very good for very drastically different reasons. But you know they can't all be they can't all you know make make all the money you know one of them one of them's gotta yeah. you know w- one of them's gotta be labeled the failure and it, it's just it's weird to look at that because the Saturn I, I really opened my eyes over the past year or two to Saturn because like even games like Starfighter or you know the Iron Man game it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. to just sit that you know y- you could do a hell of a lot worse for an afternoon than just sitting there. I mean, I love I love flying around in Starfighter. It's 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 the only flying game besides uh, Rogue Squadron and uh, Star Fox from that era that I just really love playing, and it's just a lot of fun. And that's the thing is I think it's the thing about Sega Saturn, and it comes down that system to me always feels like the most hardcore Sega system ever made because it feels like it appeals exactly to Sega's like you know main fanboys that is what the sega saturn was almost made for it was for the ultimate sega fanboy granted that's not the that's not the biggest margin of sales you know but that's how sega saturn always comes across because none of those games just stand out like oh i remember that or that but once you go in there and play me go oh my gosh there's so many hidden gems in here and i think to me is like because i always wanted i wanted sega saturn so bad when they came out and i never i never got one until a little bit later so i could buy one used (laughs) and the thing was it was the sega saturn games were always expensive they were never not expensive there was never a time period i ever remember sega saturn games being on the cheap they you know they were in stores for 60 dollars then once they were out of stores, they were used for $60. It was like one of those ones, like, what the heck? And then they only went up farther and farther in price. So I never got to play as many Sega Saturn games as I always wanted to. So as the years have kind of come on, and thanks to being able to, like, you know, burn CDs and, you know, get the, um, the whatever, the, the cart that we have, the um, uh, action the replay. The action replay and so on. Now it's actually like, oh, I can actually go and get some of these Japanese games. Oh, I can get some of these games that cost. They have always cost 150 plus dollars used and play them and really try them out. Because that was the thing is like I only owned like 15 Sega Saturn games like my whole life because I could just you just couldn't find them that cheap. And it was just like they were just always expensive and so on. So there was only so many games I was able to play. And once I was able to finally get more and more, it's just like you get more and more of appreciation for it. And it is just an amazing system with a lot of hidden gem games on it. But once again, hidden gem games don't make you money, sadly. So nah. it's kind of that thing. The best game in the world, if nobody really knows about it, it's that it doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot. And I think that's kind of what happens is the price point hit it. They didn't have a Sonic game and they just sort of faded out. And then that's where they sort of they jumped the gun once again, which that's the, I think that's the other kind of downfall that Sega always had is jumping the gun. Where Nintendo sort of pulls that, I always call it like the Macintosh thing, where they sort of wait. They, they, they let everybody else sort of experiment with the technology. And once their experimenting's done and they kind of done all their research, then they come out with theirs, you know. And Sega goes to the Dreamcast of jumping the gun once again to try to outbeat the PS2, knowing yeah. that the Xbox is coming and the GameCube. And they make one of the most amazing systems of all time. I, I, I kid you not, I think Dreamcast is so brilliant and maybe this is also another one this is one of these like kind of like my sega cd memories as a kid what made the sega dreamcast stand out to me it was the very first system i was ever able to buy when it first came out 
because before I always got all my systems like way later. You know what I mean? I got my Genesis in 1994. So that's almost like on the tail end of it there. When I got my PlayStation 1, I got it in 1998. Once again, that was sort of like it's already been out for a handful of years. It wasn't brand new, brand new. When I got my Dreamcast, it was one of those ones where like I felt like this like, oh, I got it. Nobody, none of my other friends have it. It's like I had something magical. I was seeing games that were like, this game is brand new. You got the most powerful thing in your house. That was such a cool idea to me. Yeah, I I think that mindset has really defined the Dreamcast all these years later is is the idea that it's this sort of, the whole system is essentially like this sort of hidden gem that only the hardcore gamers are really privy to that, that it, because I, the, the, the big issue with, you know, people can speculate on, oh, what, what, what killed the Dreamcast? Was it the failure of, you know, the Sega CD on, or was it simply people loved the PlayStation one so much that they knew the place? I mean, everybody knew at that point, the PlayStation two was coming. So were they going to get the Dreamcast? Were they going to dive back into, back into sega or are they gonna you know wait for the 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 known quantity and you know it really it was because the 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 dreamcast had a good price point it wasn't too expensive i think it uh launched at i think it was only 200 bucks when it started yeah 199 and if you bought if you bought the online stuff where it made really some of the most it's amazing i mean saturn had online but the, the Sega that, Genesis had online, but you know, yeah. nobody who the heck was playing that. And then you, you only rich people had like in the early nineties, you had to be rich to have the internet at your house. <laughs> yeah. And then the dreamcast comes, you can play fantasy star online. You can play unreal tournament. You can play quake. I mean, all these, all these like really, really good games that basically modern online gaming is built upon. And you're looking, and if you bought the, if you bought the modem equivalent to, uh, the, add-on for the dreamcast they would give you a rebate basically for the original system it was it was absurd on the dreamcast they pretty much did almost everything right as far as going for the consumer i think yeah and and they put out this this library of i mean i i guess maybe the issue with shem new sort of doing the breakthrough whoa this is this is uh you know absurd is is that it it's a hard game to explain to people because it's got this de- this really complex story and it's it's fascinating and people can go on and talk about it for hours on end but you know that doesn't that doesn't really compare to you know the simple words of yeah this game is Mario in 3D you know getting back to Super Mario 64 it it's, it's Sega Sega has so many uh, the Dreamcast has so many great games but it's I mean I mean it did have Sonic Adventure, which was a game changer in a lot of ways, and just yeah, Sonic Adventure. When like playing that game, because when I first got my Dreamcast, I bought Marvel vs. Capcom two. I had Sonic Adventure and Crazy Taxi, and of course the greatest hits or like the Generations disc that came with it, which was also really odd. I put a lot of hours in that demo disc. And um, boy, you, when you played Sonic Adventure for the first time, you know, I mean, Mario 64, don't be wrong, that, that still is one of those mind-blowing moments. But Sonic Adventure felt kind of like that. It felt like that once again, because now you're like, oh, I'm getting Sonic. He's in full 3D. It's fast. There's all kinds of levels. And even though they had the, the side characters, the side characters were only there so minor that it didn't really take you away from the experience, I kind of felt. Yeah. You know, it's like 
they were just there just enough to be kind of fun as like a little like side note and then you went back to playing as sonic or you went back to playing as tails and the you know, the characters that play similar to sonic yeah I've, knuckles is i i used to read the sonic comics when they'd come out and knuckles was always i just maybe maybe because he was edgy and a loner and contrarian but and he had, was, he had dreadlocks and <laughs> he did he did look cool uh he was definitely you know if if sonic was was created as the edgier Mario. You had Knuckles created as the edgier Sonic. It's like a. Well, I always felt like Sonic kind of represented, like in the '90s, he represented that guy who was like listening to like maybe like still like a holdover from sort of the hair metal generation, <laughs> like still like you know loud guitar solos, you know. But maybe a little bit, he still could progress in the grunge. He's like one of those kind of guys who could listen to Warrant but still go show up to a to a like a Soundgarden concert and then crank heavy or crank Metallica on the way home where yeah. Knuckles represent, he was the other, he represented all like the gangster rap of kind of like the, the nineties, because even in Sonic three, that's like how a song is like yeah. when he shows up <laughs> and then same with song adventure. And that's what I always kind of felt was going on there. You know, and then Tails just represent the like the nerd of the group. It's like, ah, oh, Sonic, help me out. But I know all the technology and I'll fly the plane for you. Yeah, whatever Tails. Yeah, at that point he kind of got sort of pigeonholed into like, oh, I guess he was always kind of the uh, nerdy, nerdy sidekick. But then there's yeah. then there's Big the Cat, who God, people, I see so many memes of people. Or I, I saw somebody once claim that Big the Cat was the reason Sega went under. <laughs> I, I love Big the Cat is like he's the ultimate just like patsy for getting thrown under the bus. Yeah, here's the thing, I'll, I'll even say this: Big the Cat, like his missions in Song Adventure, they're not so bad because they're only there for like three, two or three levels. You know what I mean? It doesn't really it never bothered me in that. You know? Yeah, I, I liked Amy a lot as a character too. It, you know, I mean, Lord Croth is a uh, you know the iconic. Uh, female video game character and jill valentine but just have somebody like amy who wasn't you know the princess peach is not really a pro she became a protagonist of mario later but she was often really the you know the object of mario the person that bowser was running off with and uh <laughs> amy's more like who sonic's trying to run away from <laughs> yeah yeah she's I, I i just i i always like i liked her character a lot and uh they even i mean they were a bit too late to the picture, but even Shadow the Hedgehog was kind of a, you know, that character could have been easily laughable as like a sort of like, you know, the goateed Mirror Universe Spock in terms mm -hmm. of just sort of like kind of lame. And it worked. I mean, it, it, it he's a fun character. And Sonic Adventure just did, it, it took, it took Sonic to, it was like a, it was like a, a, a finally moment. Like here, here, all is right in the world. You got Dreamcast, which was at the time such a great. I mean, it's still it, it runs. It runs a sort of. It runs what Sega does best: the arcade style games, just so perfectly. And Sonic Adventure was just such a such a. It was a, it's a landmark title. Well, and I think the thing too, it's like I've said this before. It's like I think the Dreamcast has the strongest like two years, and it's not. I guess it's almost like not even exactly two years. It's more like a little over a year and a half. But I always say yeah. like, there's no other. If you take any, I don't care what system it is you. If you took like a specific time frame, you know what I mean. So Sega would be like late 1999 to pretty much like mid 2001. Like you take that time period compare that same around two year time period i don't of any system 
I don't think any system ever had that many good games in just two years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, don't run other systems, you know, have more, probably better games, but they are also around for six to eight years. Sega yep. in just that short time frame cranked out just amazing game after amazing game. And then there's, there's also a lot of ports, but here's the thing. Those ports too are almost like some of the best versions too. Like, especially when you get ports like star Wars, a pod racer, like when you play that on Dreamcast, yeah, it, there's one. almost no going back to the 64 one. It's that good, you know? And same with like, even like other ones too, like you play like Jedi power battles on there. Yeah. It's so awesome. All the resident evil two and three on there, dino crisis. Like when you get those games on the Dreamcast version, it's just like, Oh, it's just even better better let alone all the their own games they had all the fighting games marvel vs. capcom marvel vs. capcom 2 king of fighters you know project justice mortal kombat 4 capcom vs. snk dead or alive 2 you know soul caliber uh virtual fighter 3 it's like the thing about the to me that is the ultimate fighting game system as well too i know sometimes there's always a, a competition between what's better saturn or dreamcast for as fire as fighting go i go i still think at the end of the day dreamcast it's like there's so power stone you know what i mean there's power stone is oh there's so many good games on the dreamcast like it's the perfect system that if you invite a buddy over and you want to have like that fight fest where you put the stack of games up and you just spend all night going through them there's so many fun games to go through and so much amazing fighting games on that system that like i don't think any systems ever got close to having that great of fighting on one system yeah, and it had it had such a perfect controller for it too. The the joystick is is great for fighting. I was playing uh, Dead or Alive two last week, and you just it it it's just such a it, it was the perfect fighting game for that era. It it had great graphics. The I mean the controls were easy to pick up. Uh, so I mean same with Soul Calibur. I mean for all the for all the credit that Sony got for Tekken in for the PlayStation one, I mean. Sega never really seeded the fighting game turf completely. I mean, the, I guess the 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 thing you could say about Tekken was that it allowed Sony to you know claim the more well-rounded catalog just by token of the fact that it had a great fighting game. The funny thing though is you think about beyond Tekken though, there's not really another big fighting game though for Sony. That that's really their only like ace in the hole that they have. Where Sega, yeah. you had like I mean, granted, I know you can get King of Fighters, I know you can get Street Fighter and so on, but I always feel like people don't think of those games on PlayStation necessarily. They think of them on Saturn and Dreamcast. Well, they're, they're Sega always you know developed all of its systems with the arcade in mind, and it really, I mean, I Marvel vs. Capcom is. I think that was probably like the second or third Dreamcast game I'd ever played. And growing up, just such a huge fan of the X-Men 90s show. Mm -hmm. See just those characters. It, And I mean, the Saturn did... Uh, it's I, I When Infinity War came out last year, I was just constantly posting pictures from Marvel superheroes. Like, Here, here's the Infinity War tie-in, and it's just, you know, Thanos from the Sega Saturn. Yep. Um, those games are... They're just... they're. Uh, if I'm not playing a fighting game on Neo Geo, I'm playing it on Saturn or, or Dreamcast. And then I'll, this is the other thing I'll say is, OK, you know, doing like what Sega already was doing, like amazing with like its arcade games and its fighting games, because that's where I always feel like that's Sega's main strength. I think the other thing that really like made the Dreamcast feel very well rounded is that it finally had the adventure games that I felt like were sort of like, you know, granted, there is there's RPGs and there's adventure games and so on on the Saturn Genesis CD and so on. But I felt like they really started having like really major titles on the Dreamcast that it, for a while were Dreamcast exclusive. I mean, I know they've been as time has gone on, everything kind of gets ported. But 
let's just say when it was there, you had games like, you know, of course, Shenmue. Shenmue being, the, you know, just a huge game. And I think that's another game that, like, if you weren't there in, like, 2000 to experience Shenmue, it's kind of hard to explain. But, like, the best way to say it is, like, it literally made me feel like I grew up in 1985 Japan. I don't know how else to explain, but that when I was playing that game, I was like, I'm here. I get to be in Japan like I always wanted to be. <laughs> It has some of the best storytelling of any game I've ever played. And especially just like, you know, the Mario premise is pretty self-explanatory, you know, defeat Mm -hmm. Bowser. This one, you're just like, I mean, people always, you know, get into the the video game as art argument. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of a straw man because you can argue that plenty of things are art. And of course, video games, but... When you talk about like just the the narrative value and even just the notion of being able to like go around and there's like a you know a guy you, you can go into other people's houses in in Shemne. I, I it, it it's so and it it it's just so exciting and it it, it, it it's hard it's a hard game to explain but it, yeah it's a, such a rewarding journey and it's not you know a lot of RPGs will tell fascinating stories like Final Fantasy although I mean. Um, you know, in terms of the traditional RPGs, uh, we haven't talked about Skies of Arcadia. That's an iconic and, one. And Grandia uh, too. Yeah, uh, Time Stalkers. Uh, that's the right one, right? Yeah. So, well, that's the thing. There's a bunch of great turn-based RPGs on there too, which always kind of felt like you know they've been there with Sega, but like these ones in just this two short years, you were granted so many good games like that. You know, um, God, there, there's another one. Um, kind of drawing a blank right on it too but you know you you have a bunch of these fantastic games to kind of make the system very well rounded i mean you got first person shooters on here too all kinds of great ones there um, a lot of multiplayer four player games as well too which was also another big deal too because this was technically the second console to have four uh controller slots you know the, the n64 was the only other system at that time period just including a, a multi-tap right and i think that's such a big it's hard to it's hard to understate the importance of that because I mean like when I was in college I, I was obviously in college with people who had you know who grew up with that particular generation you know you don't see people going to college now with N sixty fours but just the idea of having four people in a room in the pre online era was just so huge it's it's hard to like wrap your head around the idea that like you know video games for in so many ways are a very personal experience that you can share with you know you know, the larger community, but it's still like, you know, you're playing the story yourself, not with the four player. It's like, holy shit, here's this, you know, you can make a whole evening out of it. You, I mean, I still, I still have people over to play Mario party two and like the original and Mario party two is my favorite, but mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things that cannot be improved upon. Exactly. And it's even that time. I thought that was even like, that is almost like the pinnacle point too, for, I feel even Sega sports, because Sport game wise, they had games that were better than anybody else's right then. You know, the matter you know, NFL 2K1, NHL 2K1, you know, their whole 2K series was phenomenal. The basketball game, everything about it, and they looked amazing. It was that period where I think I felt like the first time graphics felt like, other than like when I first saw Sega CD, they literally looked lifelike at that time period. It was like, whoa, those graphics, you, you could almost confuse, your parents could kind of come in and be like, oh, what are you watching on TV? And go, oh, no, it's a video game. Like, that was yeah. one of the first times that could actually be said. And it's funny because the only reason the 2K series existed is because Electronic Arts got mad at Sega, essentially. 
Yeah, I know. Once that once that happened, that's why I'll never buy a Madden game. When I heard them blacklist pretty much Sega, it was like, go fuck yourselves. I'm sorry, but no, that that is bullshit that you could be the only one to create a football game. That is stupid. Yeah, it really um, one of the the perhaps the maybe not the maybe Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball is the most iconic baseball game, but MVP baseball 2005 is is often viewed as like the pinnacle of it. And then of course, you know, they, they went into the exclusive, uh, exclusive market and there wasn't really a great baseball game until MLB, the show was a, you know, PlayStation exclusive once again. And it, it's just, it's annoying to see them try and pigeonhole the market. I mean, it's kind of why nineties gaming is such a fun era. It's never going to be repeated. We're not going to have just, you know, seven systems competing in a generation, but you let all the systems do their own thing. A lot of great things can happen. I mean, now, now, now you've got Nintendo doing its one thing, and I mean, Xbox and PS uh, PlayStation have you know their exclusives, but a lot of the, a lot of the games are just for both of those. And I think the community as a whole suffers from that kind of you know pigeonhole uh, gatekeeping and just saying we're the only ones who can make sports games, or you know we'll you know and yeah. If you, it's just it's it's really unfortunate it's i mean it's why i'll always love the 90s for for gaming oh and that's the thing too i think that's just the missing thing because it's almost like that's what makes it kind of sad about having like almost like an xbox or a ps4 right now it's just at the end of the day there's only like a 10 game difference between the two it's yeah. they're the exact same system i mean give or take on your preference of like you know how you like your system to run you know menu wise and so on at the end of the day it's like, what do I want? Do I either want Uncharted, God of War, you know, or do I want Halo yeah. and Gears of War? You know what I mean? That 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 that's that's your only decision making process, and it's kind of like that's kind of sad because in the olden days, it's like systems were so different from each other. Like, yeah, there was always a handful of ports, but that was almost so kind of like that was like a small, maybe twenty percent of the games were kind of the same game on each system. You know, maybe slightly different from each other. But for the other part, though, is like you bought different systems because you wanted different games. You know, that, I mean, yeah, that's why the Dreamcast, I think, has lived on so well is it, it really bookended the era of, well, I mean, obviously, you know, PlayStation 2 and GameCube have plenty of very memorable games. But Dreamcast, it was like, you know, you get this system and we're going to show you shit that no one else is doing. And you're, you know, you got your Sega community and this thing is this this system is special it's not like every other game system yeah i know it was just one of those ones it's just it captured an awesome moment i think the the only thing that i think that really kind of kills the dreamcast more than anything else though is it didn't have dvds i think right. by not having dvds is really the main thing i mean i, I know it, other than that, it wouldn't have still been as powerful probably as like, especially an Xbox, but like maybe a PS2 and even GameCube. But not having the DVDs, I think, is what kind of got it by still having CDs and then all the other systems come out with pretty much DVDs. I think that really gets it more than anything else, you know, and then granted, I think for the people like, you know, all the all the hardcore Sega fans, they got Dreamcast right away. But that was one of those systems where like, you know, the Sega Saturn, I feel only had the hardcore fanboy Sega people where Dreamcast, a lot of people did kind of bleed into that system section too. And you would get people that maybe only bought Nintendo and maybe only had PlayStation that might actually had a Dreamcast too. Even if it wasn't their main system, it was kind of nice there. But I think by not having the DVDs, I think that really was what sank it. You know, yeah, they, because 
it seems stupid in hindsight because I mean people don't really uh, physical media is is kind of becoming its own niche thing now. But um, it did it, that stuff really did matter back then. I mean, the uh, I th- part of what made uh, Blu-ray beat HD DVD so bad was it had uh, you know all the PS3s could do it. Yep. Well, and, it's, and I say DVD, not necessarily like playing the movie wise. It's not that. It's just the size of the, the disc graphics, wise. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you I'm, know, you can only hold 700 megabytes on a CD. Well, on a dual layer DVD, you get, you know, eight gigs. So that, that yeah. right there is just t- even a single layer DVD, you get f- 4.7 gigs. You know, that's already a four disc game on Dreamcast is just a singular disc on PlayStation, too. You know, right. I mean, like basically PS3 into PS4 and then Wii into Wii U are like the two times I can think of where besides Sega, where uh, a system was producing games that were basically the same the same medium as the one before uh, yeah well and, and, and we we you i never knew what those disc sizes were because i'd be like okay yeah. i have a i have a disc here that i think is a dvd but i don't think it's a dvd all at the same time too because then i'll see like what the size of the game is for the digital download and the digital downloads like okay mario kart's a 25 gig game well th- what kind of disc am i holding right here this can't be a dvd <laughs> then <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely it's weird but um I mean, every every Nintendo system, the the notion that the the Wii could do backwards compatibility is like strange when you think about you know how wide the Nintendo cartridge is versus the Super Nintendo, and then the N sixty four is different. And they just GameCube, you get your little mini disc. Those are kind of mm-hmm. cute, though. Um, I, I love the, I love the GameCube discs. That's like they just look cool. They do, and but it's just like so Sega CD, Sega Saturn, and Dreamcast all use the same disc. Yeah, Not, kind of kind of a problem. Kind of weird there. You know what's something I always kind of wish that um, the Dreamcast was able to do? Even if it was like a pro version, it would have been so cool if it was able to play both Sega CD and uh, Sega Saturn games as well, too. I always yeah. thought, man, that would have been so amazing. I mean, I guess the the technical complexity of the Saturn, which was just a nightmare for people to develop for, made it... I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of speculating... Uh, it probably, I mean, I, I had to fix my Saturn uh, a couple of months ago and looking at the inside of that versus like the inside of a Super Nintendo, you're like, what the hell is this like Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, and I, I, I know that was also one of the other reasons why that people kind of jumped on the Sony is because Sony had a very easy way to develop games. Like they had a yeah. very streamlined, you got, you could, you could do it on your own computer. You didn't have to have like a certain special system, sort of like Nintendo and Sega sort of had. That I know was another big kind of game changer where Saturn was kind of like a, what the heck? Why is this so complicated? Right. And it, it, it's funny because the PlayStation 1 kind of repeated what the Genesis did, which was very developer friendly. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Saturn comes along and not so developer friendly. And but and it's funny just to look at the the Dreamcast. It's hard to think of a single like really great game for the Dreamcast that wasn't a, a, a Sega product. They it was like their their create creative juices were just all of a sudden alive again. And this company has so much energy, and then it dies. And I think that's probably why. You know, people think of the Dreamcast in the same sort of like fond regard of, you know, it's 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 always tragic when the underdog loses because it just it, it would have been so sweet to see Sega back. But I mean, in doing a lot of reading for this podcast, um, I started to kind of get the idea that one of the big things killing Dreamcast was that Sega was very sick of just bleeding money on the console market. 
Well, and it, I think that's what happened is once every, once the pot got split too many times and they invested too much in so many different things, it just kind of all came to, you know, close. And it's like the Dreamcast was almost, and I think this is almost why it's remembered so well is, you know what it is because it only lived for so, it's like the Dreamcast is like the Jimi Hendrix of yeah. like video games. He, he was only here for so long, but in that short time period, just made some amazing strides. I know some people might think that's a weird reference, but that's almost kind of what it's like. Or like a Kurt Cobain or a Jim Morrison or a Bruce Lee. That's almost how the Dreamcast sort of feels like, because it's just like everything's just firing on all cylinders on that system in that two years. You know, and yeah, not and only... I was to say, not only is Sega turning out amazing games, but so is Capcom. So is a lot of their other third parties and so on. I mean, like, I look at, like, Resident Evil Code Veronica. Right. That That's one of the greatest Resident Evil games. And that was a total exclusive, you know, for a long time on just Dreamcast. Well, I guess not a long time. Like, two years until it came out on <laughs> PS2, but... Uh, Dino Crisis, that was another Capcom, right? Yeah. I mean, that one's technically, I guess, a you could say a port from the PlayStation one, but that's the best version to have though is the Dreamcast one. It that's is, the thing. Yeah. The Dreamcast has a lot of definitive versions of games, I feel like. You know, what I mean if you're gonna have the game. Resident Evil three is yeah. Yeah. Resident Evil three. I mean, like the GameCube kind of got the other definitive versions of those ones too, but boy, I, I I play Resident Evil three mostly on the Dreamcast when I go back to play that one. You know, and that's the other thing. That's that's another genre. It has a lot of great survival horror games out there too. Was the Dreamcast the first for Silent Hill? I'm I'm trying no, to No, that, that was okay. that's pretty much exclusively PlayStation until they started coming out on the Xbox. Okay. But um and, and the, this uh, is the other thing too, is the Dreamcast era, which is, you know, it's it's one of those weird times too where there's it's a four console era. It's Dreamcast, PlayStation 2, um, Xbox Original, and GameCube. Though also Dreamcast is kind of one of those weird in-between systems that could also fit with the ironically sega saturn n64 and playstation yeah. one it, it's so weird how it's just this mb it's like it, it literally takes us from the 90s into the 2000s they, it totally represents the turn of the century right then and there but what i was gonna say with being let's say if it's part of the ps2 type era that's the last section of gaming where every single system had a lot of uniqueness to it because Xbox original had a lot of games that were not on any other systems. PS2 had tons of games that weren't on any other systems. Same with GameCube and same with Dreamcast, where once we get to the 360 PS3 era, other than Nintendo, for the most part, once again, a 360 and a PS3 aren't that different from each other. It's it's comes, it comes down to like 20 games maybe that make them different. Yeah. And it really, you know, it it the the sort of the in betweenness of the Dreamcast definitely it had it had to undercut it from just from the perspective of it coming out so quickly after the Saturn hits the scene, people are just looking like, you know, hey Sega, can you make can you make a decision as to what 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 system you're gonna back? Are you gonna are, are we we you know the Genesis had games that were released in 1997 after the Saturn a year before the Dreamcast. Yeah, it's weird how that sort of is. And sometimes I always kind of wonder if the backwards compatibility thing, like I'm even going to go back to the Saturn with this one, because when I first got my Sega Saturn, when I saw that cartridge slot in the back, I was like, oh, cool, you can plug a Sega Genesis game in here. I was like, oh, no, no, you can't. <laughs> but just yeah. imagine, imagine if that Sega Saturn could play Sega Genesis and 3.2X games in that back slot. And let's just say it also played Sega CD as well. Would that have been a bigger turning point too? Because that might have been that one where someone goes, "Okay, it's a hundred dollars more, but it also plays three other systems." Yeah, and I mean, the backwards compatibility—you know—it's it, hard to—it's hard to explain to you know people sometimes just the sheer value of that because 
at the, at the end of the day, you're saying, you know, one of its great selling points is you can play games that are on a different system. Uh, but every launch library is instantly can every launch library can draw in the people who then didn't have the system before, and they can go and they can buy the games for cheap. Yep. Uh, at the end of at the end of the uh, previous uh, era's lifespan, and and Sega just didn't capitalize on. That's like the you know the PlayStation Two has such a massive library. But they also were able to launch, and you could get, you know, you could go and you get the greatest hits line for PlayStation One. You can go to the store and you can, you know, you can buy like six of those for the price of one game. Maybe not that many, but, but um, it wouldn't be that far off, though. That's something I think people kind of forget: is by having the backwards compatibility, it's not that you're necessarily taking your games over from previous. I mean, that's a that's a bonus. It's for someone who jumps into your system. Maybe they go like, well, I always want to catch up on these other PlayStation games that I never had. Like, let's just say they bought a PS2 first and maybe they were just an N64 or a Saturn person. Well, now they buy a PS2. Now they can catch up on everything they missed out on the PlayStation 1. That That's a huge difference right there. And the sad thing is, is that Sega started off as being the one like when they did their Genesis, you could buy the conversion cart and play all your uh, master systems. And then that kind of just disappeared as time went on. And... It's kind of a bummer because nowadays, like, backwards compatibility is pretty much almost non-existent, except for I yeah. will give I give Xbox One credit because I know that that system, it's like I always make the joke that it's kind of like that friend that you sort of have that, like, nobody else seems to like. And you always <laughs> want to try to defend him, be like, you know, what? No, he's actually kind of a good person and so on. And then they start bringing up all, like, the things that they don't like. I'm like, oh, yeah, but that menu's like crap. And you're like, oh, well, uh, yeah, the menu doesn't definitely load nearly as well. And they'll be like, yeah, and when the thing has to update, you know, you you have to just let it sit there. You can't play a game or do anything in the background. You're like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. And there's like everything that they say you can't really defend. It's kind of like, yeah, you're right. He is kind of an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. But whatever. I'm still friends with him. The one thing I think the Xbox one sort of has over the PS4 is that you can whip your 360 and Xbox original games as long as it's part of the list in there and be able to play the game. Like that right there is pretty darn cool. That's one thing I was kind of bummed me out about PS4 you can't put PS3 games in and or not even two or one. Sometimes I always feel like the system doesn't always have to go that far back. But if you could do that, that makes it just makes the system that much more powerful. And this comes from somebody who owns all the previous systems. It's not that I can't just go pull the system out and play it. Something's nice about being able to just be like, OK, I don't have to have every single one of my systems out at the same time. I can literally just whip my discs in and start playing you know and nintendo used to be really good about that too for the longest time you used to be always everything was backwards compatibility you know you get yep. the wii you can play gamecube games you get the um, the wii, wii u you can play wii games and then the switch came out and it was just kind of like oh, oh I, I guess we're done with that now yeah we switch comes out and it says you can you know you can't play the wii u games but you can buy them again <laughs> their can, full price, full price. <laughs> i always kind of wish they would have done something where like if you own the wii u game you, you at least could get a digital copy like discounted yeah, I mean, it really, I, I, I mean, we should probably do a, a whole separate episode on on the Wii U, but I, I'm a big Wii U defender as well. Um, it's got a great library, and there's no better, you know, anybody who says the Wii U just sucks. That's stupid. Can, you just never played one if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, you can you can look at the Switch library and say, if it's so bad, why are all these games out again? Yep, it's like it, it's like one of those ones that that could be a podcast for another time. But that's how good the yeah. I think the Wii U is pretty powerful. I mean, it's one of those systems. It falls under the same category as like the I feel like the short lived kind of systems. I guess you could say you could put in the same category as Dreamcast or Sega Saturn and Sega CD. Even though I always consider Sega CD and 32X almost 
to me that more just feels like it's an extension of the genesis i don't really look at them like a different system i know they sort right. of are but like they just feel more like an extension but um you know in the whole lifespan of the sega like i've always been you know a sega fanboy my whole life though i always like everything else too but to me there's such magical moments and it represents the 90s so well i i still always hope that sega has like a total comeback i mean they're still making big games people always kind of forget about it. like the yakuza that's pretty much sega's new like major title series because that's been doing them well for like 20 years yeah it definitely i mean it's great that the company was able to you know the, the the console i mean there's a reason we're not seeing you know five six seven consoles in a in a market anymore the other companies have looked at it. even even apple now having done the pippin they're not looking to get back in the game because it's just it's a huge money sinkhole and i mean the the stability of the three ring microsoft sony nintendo race for the past couple generations has just proved you know if if you want to get into the console market it's going to be very expensive and there's not a lot of market share left to be had no because especially because it's almost split up too because then you forget then not only is there the consoles now you got the cell phones and you also have the pc as well too to kind of divide it all so i mean it really you know people look at this at the dreamcast and they say it was doomed to fail and Maybe Doom to say that it was it was sort of destined to fail by token of what the other what its preceding systems had done is probably just the wrong way to look at it because that kind of ignores the fact that the the Sony PlayStation is is really the most impressive debut. Uh, I mean, maybe the original Nintendo NES uh, would be more impressive of a launch system for a first console, but that that that. Sony looked at that crowded market and said to itself, okay, we'll release the system and we're going to slaughter this generation yeah. in terms of overall sales. And ironically, Sony didn't want their name even on there. That game division was like such an experiment. They're like, we don't want the tarnish, the Sony name. So the original PlayStations barely even say Sony on. It's like in tiny, small print. Yeah, it's, it's really... I mean, Xbox was able to... Um, climb ahead with the 360 by the early launch and the cheaper price point. But I mean, if you're looking at Sega's looking at PlayStation, like, okay, what they're doing is so much better than anything. We're, we're, it's just working for some reason. Uh, they gave it the old college try with the Dreamcast. Uh, did everything right. I mean, we're, we're talking about it now. There's tons of people who, you know, the, I, I think when a Dreamcast classic comes out, that's going to be like the, the classic mini system to rule them all but it it was such a great as you said earlier such a great period of uh it has one of the impressive small libraries of any system yeah and every every game was such a big hit that they're looking and they were just hemorrhaging marketing money losing hundreds of millions of dollars and they finally said you know to hell with this we'll just we're a great game company we make great games let's just go continue to do that and really, at the end of the day, I t- that's what I always kind of just hope for with Sega is that Sega has like one of the strongest rosters of games. And you know what? If they don't start making new games based off of them, people are going to start to forget. It's going to be like the Freddy Krueger syndrome. You know what I mean? If you wait long enough, it just disappears. And I just yeah. kind of hope that, you know, when Sonic Mania came out, I felt like that was kind of like that could be a new like light in to doing 
brand new versions of classic Sega games. And since they're doing Streets of Rage 4, which is sounds amazing, if they start pulling out the other ones too, let's bring back Shinobi. Let's bring back uh, Golden Axe. Let's bring back a bunch of other ones. You know, who? there's other things you could totally do too, you know, and then also start bringing back like the other eras. Like Dreamcast had tons of great things. Like Jet Grind Radio, I still think could have another sweet comeback, you know, and um, maybe that could be because, you know, at the end of the day, if, if that's what Sega becomes, you know, why not? You know, I always thought this is another idea I had back in the old days. I'm like, what if like Nintendo would have bought up Sega when they're having all those problems? And just yeah. imagine Nintendo being able to run Sega's characters. I thought it, I'm like, because to me, it sounds weird, but I feel that Sega's characters actually would fit at home with Nintendo. Oh, definitely. Quite yeah. well this day and age. Like, because when because when Dreamcast kind of like, the you know, collapse it's almost like they split their assets like some games went to xbox some games went to ps2 and some games went yep. to gamecube so sega kind of or, or sonic kind of went to gamecube you know ps2 got virtual fighter and shinobi and so on and then xbox kind of got a lot of other stuff they got the shenmue 2 which should have came out to dreamcast they got um you know panzer dragon you know they got crazy taxi 3 and so on but if Nintendo, if, I just felt like, gosh, if Nintendo would have bought that and it would have been like the new Rare, almost for Nintendo since they lost Rare, and right then and there they could have switched on over and said, okay, now we got Sega, and Nintendo could have been in control of making Sonic games, and Nintendo could have been in control of making Shinobi and making Virtual Fighter and all these things like that, I feel like that would have been, I mean, granted, Nintendo only has so much time to do their own games that might have overwhelmed them, but even if they were just overseeing the Sega team doing it, Gosh, think about how powerful of a list that could have been just to add to the already amazing list of Nintendo games. There's just so many like what if possibilities because it's just sadly enough, it's just there's so many Sega games that I feel just get kind of left in the closet and we're collecting dust almost. Yeah, Drake Ryan Radio. I mean, I, I was just in my head picturing it being played on the Switch. It's perfect for that, especially the motion controls. Yeah. The motion controls, like think about it, like you're, you're making circles and you're doing your spray paints and you can do your custom, you know, designs and graffiti. Like, cause I remember when the, the Wii came out, I was like that time period. I'm like, dude, dude, this controller is begging to be a jet grind radio one or another one too is fantasy star, like, and not fantasy star online. I know that was a big game and they did great. But ever since that fantasy star online came out, they like ditched the old school fantasy star. I would love to see, you know, when dragon quest 11 came out, I felt like that proved that you could have a full-on AAA title turn-based RPG and make it one of the most amazing games of all time, really. So it would be so cool to see Fantasy Star actually have a comeback as well, because I think that game once again has pop has the possibilities. I know that Sega. The, the hardest part about Sega is I always feel where Nintendo has a more worldly look to them. Sega always feels very Japanese, so you feel like the. The people that love Japanese stuff, like, you know, anybody who loves manga, anime, you know, kung fu or like martial arts type movies and things like that can gravitate to Sega really easily. But I feel like the people who are all kind of more pure American, you know, have a harder time getting past that barrier. Yeah. It um and now kind of feels like the the best opportunity for Sega to really bring a lot of those forgotten classics in because nostalgia is such a such a powerful uh market force right now and just everything i mean you 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 see like movie reviews will will rate the quality of the nostalgia you even see that with like dumbo that just came out and it's it's mm -hmm. you look at sega saying okay you've got you know you had all this market share in the 90s now all these fans are older they have money you know that maybe maybe yeah. they don't want to play fortnite 
bring out something. I mean, these these mini consoles are selling so well. You know, maybe 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 Nintendo. I mean, uh, maybe Sega will make a comeback. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, they they got their new Genesis Mini coming out, which looks kind of yeah, that was just released. Looks kind of interesting, but um, it's just one of those ones. Like, and it's here's the thing: they don't need to take over the AAA section of games. I feel like there's there's totally that secondary realm that they could go and just start making a bunch of stuff i don't know here, here's the thing you got shenmue 3 coming out later this year that right there i think is another big deal i think anybody who's a sega fan should buy it even if they don't even get around to playing it you should buy it just for the fact that that's actually happening that's almost mind-blowing is, that yeah. that can come back you know at the, at the end of the day i just hope that sega starts doing they start bringing their games back because i remember when the ps4 like indie scene and you know ps3 and even 360 when they had on there when those indie games started coming out, I kept seeing games where it's like, okay, not only people like, you know, Ape and Nintendo and making kind of really sweet, like retro SNES style games and regular Nintendo style games and, you know, making new versions of them, but people started doing Genesis type games and people started taking a lot of, there's so many games where they do beat em up games and it's like, you know what this really feels like? It feels like Streets of Rage. Yep. And it's like, I always just feel like you guys just should grab these indie guys. There's like, you know, there's teams that are making like a one to like five guys and gals who are making games. Grab these people and have them do official games, you know, using classic, you know, licenses. You know what I mean? Like, I think Sega, they could really go into the indie market, just grab a bunch of different small teams and just have them start cranking out sweet new copies of, you know, Golden Axe and Shinobi and maybe even things like Chameleon Kid. Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could try Alex a kid, but Alex kid was kind of even lame back in the day. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was always a hard game to get around. I don't know. Yeah. I was like, there was probably an audience for it, but yeah, it, it almost, you know, it, it makes, it, it makes almost too much sense. You wonder that, uh, you know, obviously a big corporation isn't gonna, you know, do something that is, is that obvious, you know, something as beautiful as Stardew Valley was built by, you know, one guy and yet, yeah, you know a lot of these come, and he and he just he literally just aped Harvest Moon and just made it a super dialed in one, yep. and there you go, it worked. Why not? It's better than probably any Harvest Moon that's come out in the last ten years. Oh, the uh, the one that just came out, Light of Hope, was uh, pretty terrible, and uh, you know I I like uh, I mean what what I like about Stardew Valley a lot is that it it it's basically like a back to nature clone versus you know tree of tranquility and animal parade were fun but i i I didn't really feel as though they they improved on what had been done before and the gamecube ones i mean a lot of people love magical melody but uh the a wonderful life was kind of limited in terms of what you could do and uh obviously harvest moon is not sega so we're getting a little off a little off topic yeah But the whole point is that the fact that I feel that there's people out there pretty much making games that are kind of Sega-like, you know, gosh, there was even one like, you know, I mean, I guess it's more kind of like Ninja Guy, but Shinobi Ninja Guy, I was kind of feeling the same thing. There's guys making sweet like 2D Ninja games all the time, too. And it's like, that, that could be that could be a new Shinobi game, because I think Sega could really like conquer that that indie platform. Of, I know it sounds weird. It's like, here's a big company coming in to step on all the indie guys. But I mean, like. They make them in that style, like you know, what I mean, the retro, yeah. the modern retro type games. It makes. T- I think Sega could really benefit in that world. Yeah, it really it it it's perfect for the kind of, especially just the kind of stuff that that Dreamcast was putting out. Just the the sense of, wait a second, here's this game where you skate around and you draw graffiti places, like or or crazy, or you you drive around uh, dropping people off places while the offspring 
blasts in the background. Like, what the hell's that? <laughs> and Bad Religion. Yeah, and you and then you play it, and you're like, oh, you, it's amazing. It, it really it it that that sense of awe and wonder was something that Dreamcast was so good at, and it's just a shame that it it met the fate that it did. You know, even even like it would have been great if we had like one more year of that just constant output of great games, but. Well, yeah, because it just makes you wonder. It's like, what more could have been? I mean, the thing that always bums me out is there's there's those handful of games, which I mean, granted, nowadays you can just download the Japanese ones and burn them onto a disc and play them. But the thing was is that there was, there was almost like – because 2001 kind of just ended a little too quickly for Dreamcast. I wish they would have finished that year off and at least would have put out Shenmue 2 in America – they would have put because the sad thing is, is it came out and you know it was in English over in Europe. It just didn't make it to the U.S. Yeah, that's weird. You know, you had all the extra fighting games like Darkstalkers Collection. You had the ones like Capcom versus SNK Two came out. Yep. Yeah, there was just a handful of these other games that like okay, you can get the Japanese version, but I, I wish they would have made it and so on. But you know, I mean, that's all in hindsight. But still, no Half Life. I just hope that. Oh yeah, that didn't, that never did make it out. I remember because that was going to be a big deal game. It was like, oh, we're getting Half Life on a console. Yeah, somebody somebody ported it to Dreamcast. I've played it. It's 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 fun, but and it really it does it does make you wonder what like what like a two thousand and two could have been for Dreamcast because you know it may not have been as powerful a system as the PlayStation Two, but it can run Half Life, and that's that's not a you know that's not a that's a pretty data intensive game. So, I mean, it takes up like a whole memory card on its own, but it's a lot of fun. It's, um, you know, I, I, I think that the Dreamcast, I, I often wonder if it's sort of romanticized, uh, reputation is, you know, either it, whether it's earned or whether it's just a product of the fact that we like to, you know, the endless speculation, kind of like your, your Jimmy, your Jimi Hendrix comparison earlier, but it was just, it 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 was a great way to send off the '90s in the sense that it it gave us one last like very big juice of just weird games that really made you ex- excited to sit down and play them. And not not that Nintendo doesn't do that, not that PlayStation doesn't do that, but in a lot of ways, it's still you know as great as Mario Odyssey was. You know, there there's also the idea of you know you're getting ready for that that generation's Mario release versus you know something like a jet grind radio that's just totally out of left field although they they did that very well with splatoon not to not to go off topic yeah but, uh, splatoon was like one of those ones where it's like oh there there's a fresh taste with a nintendo game there yeah and well you know well really though i'll say it's like the dreamcast so once again it's like that's what it feels like a system i can never say too much good stuff about but here's a perfect example it's one of those systems that has never lost being always in plugged into this TV and being ready to play at a moment's go. Where other systems, I rotate in and out because you, know, you only have so many things, you know, plugged up at the same time. You know, like, play, I'll say this, I, I take the same systems of, let's say, the later version of it. You know, PS2 and Xbox Original, I, don't get me wrong, I like those two systems, but they are never not all, they're only plugged in whenever I feel like going back and playing a certain game. They don't just hang out there waiting to be played at a, any moment's time you know gamecube still does because gamecube to me was always the, the strongest one of the, all three of those but no it's like I, I pull those other systems out when i want to play a certain game but i can leave dreamcast there and it's always good to go because you never know if you get somebody who comes on over you know you can whip out any kind of dreamcast game and have a good yeah. time it's just like it's made to be that kind of system it's hard to think of a system that has 
more great, uh, a system that has a good library, but then also has more great local multiplayer games, really, than it does single player. And that Dreamcast, to me, will always be, you know, one of the go-tos for playing with friends, because it's just, you could just go anywhere. You yeah. can do Power Stone, you can do Soul Calibur, you can do Marvel's Capcom. You can even, you know, swap out on Crazy Taxi. I mean, it's really, the opportunities are... Well, yeah, because those arcade-style games like that are almost made to be, even if you're playing, even if they're single-player games, you know, the rounds only last so long, so you can switch back and forth, and it's just, I feel that's the, it's the biggest thing that's missing nowadays, is because, okay, you got online multiplayer, yeah, but that's not the same as sitting in the same room with a friend. Oh, exactly, yeah. And it, it, it never, it's, to, it's just one of those ones, it just will never capture that same feel. I mean, I guess maybe children will kind of grow up in a world without, you know, hanging out with friends together, and it'll just become the norm, but I guess to all of us old gamers, it's just one of those ones, like, it always kind of bums me out how little split screen games there are anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, Nintendo still generally carries it pretty well. But yeah, Sony and, you know, I feel the second that Microsoft gives up on Gears of War, that's going to be the last time you see split screen with them. Because I don't know. You know, they gave up on, on Halo 5. Maybe it'll come back on Halo 6, but I'm not too sure. Maybe it won't. Yeah, it really, it, it, I mean, it, for me for me to hear like all the people who would say oh stop playing video games go outside they really would miss the point of the fact that playing video games inside with friends is still like you know a heck of a lot of especially for me i grew up um my only sibling is uh, my sister's 10 years younger than me so i played a lot of video games alone and just just to, to play with friends was always something that i'll never forget and i still i mean people still They'll play them out like, oh my god, I forgot how great this was, and it's like, yeah, this, doesn't this, you know, doesn't this shit all over Fortnite completely? Like, why would you want to play that when you can play, you know, Dead or Alive or Soul Calibur? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, well, because you think of some of those games, like some of these modern games, will they have that same lasting appeal where you can always turn it on and it's always just as good as you remember? If sometimes not even better. Yeah. Like I sometimes think that some of these older systems actually even get better with age. I know some people want to say that differently, but. Sometimes there's certain Saturn games I'll turn on and Dreamcast games where it's just like, gosh, I like this even more the older I get. You know, it's, that's how I always feel about Code Veronica. I feel like I, li- I love that game when it came out, and that was such a big deal game for me to get. And then the more I play it, like every single time I go back to play, it's just like I like it just a little bit more. And I don't know, that might be more just like that almost like that old man, like nostalgia kind of like, yeah. you know, remember the good old days? Oh, I remember those days. You know, it's like you get to that point. And I know that you can never like probably wean somebody in, you know, with it and trying to tell some kid like, hey, you should be playing this game. This is this is a good game here because it, it's just going to come across, you know, yeah. literally as an old man trying to like throw his record at exactly. you. You're like, oh, this is real music. Get this garbage out. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is where you should be listening. And I mean, I, I know that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You know, but uh, for for people like us, you know, it's important that and I, I, I agree with you completely. The Saturn definitely does. It's one that the the depth of its library really is, is something that is best appreciated over a longer, you know, longer period of time than it ever got to live as a system. But, you know, it, it, it's important. It's important, at least for me and, and for a lot of people who, who care a lot about video game history that, you know, we look at a company like Sega and explore their complete body of work and at it at its various stages and, and understand sort of the, the, the impact that, not only what it what it brought to the table, but what it left behind when it, they stopped making consoles. 
Yeah, and then, I mean, the upside is that Sega still, I mean, they don't create nearly as much as they used to, but they still create games, and they still have their name slapped on development by uh, other big games, too, like Bayonetta. That's technically a Sega right. game. I know it's not made by Sega Sega, but it's produced by Sega, so in my book, that's a Sega game. I can't believe we've made it this long into the episode without ever once saying, Sega. Or Sega! Yeah. For the ultimate, like, 90s-ness of it all. Yeah. And so on, but... um. You know, it's, you know, Sega just reminds me of the good old, like, you know, hopped up on Surge, playing with <laughs> friends, split screen, you know what I mean? Hat backwards no matter where you go because that's just the only way you can wear of course. it. You know, skateboard under your arm though you're playing video games. <laughs> that that generation, yeah. you know, and um, it, it just is a magical one. And I always love trying to, like, share the Sega to people because a lot of people just didn't get, you know, everybody played Sonic, you know, but... It's the rest of the Sega games that sometimes are kind of very lost to many people, especially, you know, if you're a hardcore Nintendo person or hardcore Sony. A lot of people just there's a lot of things kind of that they never got to experience at Sega. And I think it's fun to always show people like, you know, here's Sega and Sega's this ginormous entity that is kind of lost in time. Granted, it's always fondly remembered by the people that love it. But beyond that, though, there's so many people out there that grew up in the 90s and never played Golden Axe. And never played a Shinobi game. It's not that unheard yeah, of. Or Shining Force. Or Shining yeah. Force. Or especially Fantasy Star. Fantasy Star is always like the one. I feel like that's like the greatest RPG that nobody played. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I look at... Uh, I, as we speak, there are probably people playing Fantasy Star online, the Dreamcast version somewhere. And I think that's sort of a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, the, the, yeah, the Fantasy Star Online one I felt got a little bit bigger. I, I was going to, let me rephrase this, original 1-4 oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Fantasy yeah. Star. Because yeah. <laughs> I always feel like, you know, as much as people always talk about, you know, Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy IV and, you know, Chrono Trigger and all that stuff, it's just like, gosh, those those Fantasy Star games, they, they were just right there. You know, I feel like they, they you can put them up right next to Dragon Quest and right next to any Final Fantasy, and they're pretty darn sweet, you know. And um, I look at something like Cosmic Star Heroin. That game, to me, remind me like it had the vibe of Fantasy Star mixed with a little bit of Chrono Trigger. And then what I loved about it the most and what sold it to me on it when it first came out, it looked like a Sega CD game. Did, and I was yeah. like, I am there. It looked so much. It was like somebody's making a Sega CD game brand new. That is so cool. And I love that game. That game was like I kept saying that was my favorite game of whatever year that came out, like two years ago or whatever. So cool. I think it may. I I remember I I reviewed it um, on my website and I liked it a lot. The I think the creator of that game might be mad at me because I criticized the dialogue in the game, but um, I love the aesthetic of it. Uh, it, it. I love the whole thing. It played amazing. It looked cool. It had a bunch of characters in it, and, and then it was like it was a nice time frame. It was like eleven hours long yeah, to do everything. Yeah. I mean that's I mean that's the other beauty of Sega is like. You know, you you can play the game, have a lot of fun, and then, you know, go do something else with your day. <laughs> they have, like, what I call the adult time frame, because that's the thing is, like, the older you get, like, you almost look more forward to, like, a five-hour game, whereas a kid, you'd be like, man, imagine a game that's, like, 50 hours long. It would yeah. be intense. And then when you get as an adult, you're like, man, I like I miss when games were only, like, five to ten hours. Yeah, like, I think about how many hours I've sunk into Red Dead already, and I, I, I play games slowly, and I'm just like, oh, good God, when do I get to, like, you know, when do I get to the end of this? I'm ready. I just got to the yeah. the St. Denis part, and I'm like, okay, this can end if it wants to. 
But uh, oh yeah, and it's like if you go, don't get me wrong, it's like I love big open world games here and there, but like for the most part, it's like you when you look when you kind of break those games down, it's like it's a horse riding simulator. Is like what seventy percent of this game is. It's really not that big of a game if you broke down the actual <laughs> gameplay. True, in it. Uh, it's it, it's definitely uh, you know it's beautiful, but um, is it better than Shemnu? Probably not. No, I, I, I mean this. This is, comes from nostalgia. If you took a kid, they would tell you the exact opposite. But true, it's a great game, but it's you know it's. I think trying to capture something like Shenmue is one of those ones like that's such a groundbreaking game for that 2000 period. And I think it's, it's it's like almost one of those ones. If you weren't there, I don't think you could totally get like why that game felt like just a humongous leap. Probably. Yeah, you know, that felt like almost like the leap of virtual reality. I know it's not technically virtual reality or anything, but that felt like it was like you went from just playing games to being like in a game. Yeah. And living a game. The real time aspect was just so. uh so spectacular. Although I looked, um, the Saturn had a snowboarding game that was, um, it has three S's in its title, but it's, I'm blanking on it. That would, uh, the, the conditions in the game would depend on what your internal Saturn clock was, which is pretty cool. I always like those kind of features like that. Those are always pretty darn sweet and neat, but, um, but yeah. Final thoughts on Sega. If that can be, uh, uh summarized. <laughs> You know, yeah, because to me, Sega is always the systems that I, I got them all. They sit around me. I love having Sega. I just my main thing is I just hope that Sega can finally start bringing out their other series. You know, we, we always get Sonic games and, you know, mine. Gotta like that, whether, you know, they be good, bad, or kind of ugly. The whole point is that at least those are still coming out. It's the rest of them. It's like, I want a new Virtual Fighter. I want a new Fantasy Star original style series. I would love to have another Shinobi more golden axe you know what i mean and same with a bunch of others like they got so many great games that it just i feel are left alone and i would love to see it continue especially even if sega sort of outsourced it to these indie creators that are already you could tell our sega fans let them kind of like take the reins on this and you produce the game it's still going to be a sega game you know you could oversee it but let them kind of do it you know what i mean that's kind of what sonic mania was and look how amazing that turned out yeah, exactly. It really, you know, you look at the, you know, from the, I mean, even even from the Sega Master System, but from the, you know, the era from the Genesis to the Dreamcast, you you you, you know, you can look at the the sales and the, you know, how how did Nintendo, how did Sony do, and that'll tell one story, but you know, you, you can't easily look at something like the Sega CD or even the 32X and certainly not the Saturn and just look at it and say, oh, well, that's a failure because, you know, the other one sold, you know, 10, 10 million more units. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't encapsulate, you know, failure in terms of video game systems is a favorite topic of mine because it's so hard to define. And when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, Sega made a ton of great games. They just made... A lot of personnel decisions, and the company wasn't wasn't uh, operating with as much synergy as it needed to. But not a failure. Dreamcast will live on, and as you said, you know, Sonic Mania, the 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 dream of Sega is still alive, and uh, what a beautiful thing that is. Yeah, and as you say, a failure. Like I feel like you can't call. Maybe it might be a financial failure, but if there's always good games. I say there's no failure. You know what I mean? It might, yeah, maybe it didn't make money and that's always kind of that, but it's that kind of thing. Like maybe you can make an awesome game and maybe it doesn't make money, but as long as it like people are enjoying it and it's awesome, that's still something in itself. You know what I mean? Yep. 
20 years later, we're still talking about it. We've, you know, close to three hours talking about a company that, you know, uh, supposedly, if you just look at the numbers, spent most of the 90s screwing up, but I don't think so. No, I, I don't believe that's the case. I feel like that's kind of like, eh, you trip a little bit, you fall a little bit here, but in the same time period, you made you still made great art. It was It's almost like that kind of, that recklessness of like debauchery or something like <laughs> of a band where they're going out of control of everything with money, you know, and all the drugs and everything like that, but they're still creating cool pieces of art along the way. It might be destructive, but it's still stuff coming out. That's almost how Sega sort of feels. You know, they're like... The, I was going to say, it's almost like Molly Cruz the dirt. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a spinning out of control. Something's going to die. Something's about to explode. Something's about to go down in a fiery wreck. But somehow, some way, they still keep making it, you know? And that's almost how Sega sort of feels. Well, that concludes our history through Sega. Thank you so much to Spencer Scott Holmes for joining me. This discussion was went well above and beyond what I was hoping for and covered so many different aspects of Sega. Really, I'll probably spend the next week I'll have to force myself to stop playing Sega so I can edit this episode. But, you know, it's always, it's, it's great to reevaluate how, how these, it, it's great to reevaluate the history of these companies. There's so much more depth to it than, you know, the sort of footnote of what did well and what didn't. Yeah, I suppose definitely. That's just kind of how it is. There's just too much cool stuff out there, and it's just fun to go back and check it out, especially all the things you, you miss along the way. Because you could still live in, a, in an era and still find new things as time goes on. And that, you know, that's that's why, you know, people like Spencer and myself just come back to this stuff constantly. And hopefully, you know, we 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 got to a lot of points in this where we started to go off topic talking about Nintendo or Harvest Moon or the Wii U or and stuff and hopefully you'll come back and we can talk about you know, do episodes on all of those different topics. Yeah, exactly. There's so many more things to do. Well, thanks for having me on here, Ian. It's been awesome. I love talking Sega. It's one of those ones like I could talk Sega all day long. And as we both know, there's not enough people out there in the world to talk Sega all day long with. So, And to you, the listener, hopefully love Sega as much as Spencer and I do. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.